Good evening and welcome to a spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz and psychic medium Stephanie Burke. Hello, we're here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. You don't hear anything? That's all right. You don't, you, I'll talk louder. I don't know why you're not hearing anything. Are you? I don't know. It's... Uh, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> That's all it takes sometimes is just tapping the side of... Was it your head that you tapped or the headphones? Headphones. Well, hold on. I should put your microphone up there. Wait. I don't know which one it is. There you go. Headphones. All right. Well... I don't know. I think tapping your head probably would have helped too. I was say that's, that's probably how he usually gets it done. So. Yeah. So we are here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. It's been a few weeks since we've been here uh, and it'll be a few weeks since we'll be back here uh, because going through a little bit of a, a family emergency situation, uh, I've been covering my dad's job overnight every night. If you've been listening to Midnight Society, which we're now just on Fridays, you know what I'm talking about with that. Uh, so... Basically, don't really have the time to come in. Plus, it's you know good to have a little break after the October when everybody's running around. Uh, so it'll be a few weeks before we're back. But we wanted to come in tonight and have a special edition of the program because tonight is the anniversary of the DeFeo murders. And so we're going to talk Amityville. And you'll notice I said the word. I think that the, the curse has been lifted. I think we can now say Amityville here on the... Just watching, making sure, just making sure the computer doesn't fire off. Hello. You know, I think we can. That's just you. It's probably some weird. No, that's know, just no, that's just electrical those... misfire just... that happened in your brain. Or We're just because he's using community headphones. Oh yes. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that's a problem in itself. That's probably the biggest reason why we're having that problem. But little column A. I mean, little we can just say B. Amityville all we want, and nothing happens you when we say Amityville. Like Fifteen years later, you'd pack your own headphones. I'm just throwing it out there. I said the same thing earlier. <laughs> I had, but I keep bringing in headphones here, and they keep disappearing. Yeah, but if you've ever brought them in, I've never seen you leave with them. Just throwing them out. <laughs> like, I, they might be here somewhere. So, so, so far, so good. We can say Amityville, and there's no problem. WBSM. I did that on purpose. Oh, I was like, thank you. <laughs> uh, that was what used to happen uh, in the old days whenever we said it. But uh, I think part of it, Stephanie, is, you know, talking about it on my other show, I think probably helped Maybe. a little bit and, and, and doing some of that. But part of it is when we went there and we visited the house for the Tubi documentary, Famously Haunted Amityville, which you can watch now, uh, just download the Tubi app. It's free. You don't even need to account. But I think going there, seeing the house, facing everything, and then also we can finally talk about what happened when we decided to experiment because we, yes. we released the videos last week. You totally did. And I didn't even realize that you did it until days later because it was like you, super ninja-like. You so, were in the email chain. I know, but I got that a little too late too. Listen, you, I got a lot going on. Well, the... Well, she, no, what it was was it came from my work email. So she's like, I don't know who this guy is. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, we did release those uh, videos. You can see them on our YouTube channel. Uh, thanks to Lamone for being the first person to comment first and frequently, apparently, on all those videos. Uh, <laughs> it was I like he was checked. Let me look. It's like he was trying to have a conversation back and forth with us. And it's yeah. like, I don't respond to comments on YouTube, Lamone. But so we did put out the videos. And, and one of them is kind of just us arriving. And then the second one is, you know, I teased the idea of, you know, why was I so excited about that clam chowder? You got to find out why. Uh, it wasn't because it was Manhattan-style clam chowder. That was I not... am glad that I filmed that segment. 
like it was just a last minute decision and I saw you walking out and I was like, I kind of feel with how excited that you look walking out of this particular storefront that I had to, to turn my camera on. But the, sh- the, I did. the chowder itself was only okay. Well, it's cause it was Manhattan style. Yeah, it can only be so good. Uh, although that being said, you know, Rocky Point Manhattan style clam chowder is a different story, but, and then, uh, the third video is the important one. That's the one where we conducted an Estes method session outside of the Amityville house. And uh, I did get somebody that asked, you know, if you did have permission to be out there and film, why did you film so far away? There, there's nowhere to park in front of the house. Correct. Like that was as close as we could get parking on the side of the road. And um, I, think it, I think it was effectively close enough for what we were trying to do. Did you, did you feel like you were able to tap into the house as much as you would if you were right in front of it? Yeah, there's no difference. Yeah. Um, the, the funny part about that video is we were in front of the next door neighbor's house, but the view of the camera makes it seem like it's so much farther away. Yeah. We really were not that far at all. No. Um, when I saw it, I was like, wow, I don't remember being that far away, but I was like, actually we weren't because we were parked right like in front of the neighbor's driveway and you Which were panicking. Which bo- yeah, borders the property. Yeah, it so. does. So it's really, you know, not different. We had driven by so many times in the, the previous 48 hours that we had plenty of time to sit and connect with the energy of, you know, that particular piece of property from all different sides. So, And what's interesting about that video is for those who are wondering, you know, what it's like to do the Estes method, at least the way we do it, we do it with uh, with EchoVox. Uh, Yeah, that's why, like, I know, you know, some people called it the Estes method, and I understand why, but we've added so many different twists to it, and it's something that, you know... It's just shorthand, really. Yeah, it's... It's like, you know... We do it very differently, but... It's like calling a tissue a Kleenex. The reason I don't like to call exactly the Estes method, because the, the true way to do that particular method, we've gone beyond or way different and i think that they give two completely different results to be honest yeah i just i i won't use ghost boxes anymore no uh but the what i find interesting about the way that it came out in the video is because it's so loud Mm -hmm. the the viewer can hear it so i didn't realize that until i watched the video uh, i'm glad that it did though because now people can listen to it and they can hear what stephanie's hearing yeah so it's not like she's just randomly saying the things that she's saying like you hear the proof that that's what's being said. Yeah, I couldn't hear you to save my life. And people, I've, I've heard people are now taking that video and putting headphones on themselves and turning up their own volume, mm-hmm. like to see if they can pick up anything else that maybe they, you know, that they they could pick up in there. So it's a, it's, it's a very interesting clip. You can check it out on our YouTube channel. Uh, we appreciate it. But, you know, Amityville is one of the most haunted properties in the world or supposedly one of the most haunted properties in the world. We're going to get into the DeFeo murders. We're going to get into the hauntings, but we have a special guest in the studio who's going to be joining us here for a little bit to talk about the idea of haunted properties from a different perspective, because you talk, you know, you hear us talk all the time on this program about um, how to help people that have haunted properties that they want to prove that are haunted or, you know, we don't, we don't eliminate ghosts, but you know, at least some people want to know if there's something there and they want to know how to live with it and deal with it. Some people, though, don't want to live with it. Some people want to get the hell out of there. And the problem is, is they don't know how to go about selling a haunted property. And then there's other people who are sick and twisted like us that when we decide to buy a house, we're like, well, we only want to buy it if it's haunted. Like, don't give us a house that isn't haunted. What's, what's the point of that? 
That's like giving us tacos without any filling inside of them, you know? So uh, we have someone here with us who, by the way, uh, just a, I didn't tell Moniz or Stephanie this. This is a, what, what would we call this? A, um, not generational, a, a, a sibling guest of a previous guest. So if you remember, we had AP Sylvia on to talk about vampires. I don't know if you were here for that show. I think we've talked about this so many times, and we always ask this question, and I can never answer it properly. <laughs> but we we had him on to talk about vampires, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and Aaron Sylvia is here with us, and that's actually his sister. So hello, Aaron. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. So while he's known as the vampire guy, you are, which I don't know if he's officially known as that, but we'll just refer he to is, him. I call him that. Yeah. Like, it, like in family functions, like, hey, vampire guy. <laughs> uh, but you have uh, created a, a little niche for yourself as well because you are a realtor. Yes, I am. But now you are also a surrealtor. Yes, I have started a YouTube channel called The Surrealtor. And what's the and what's the idea behind that? Well, I've always had an interest in uh, properties, well, really historic properties, but then also to haunted properties because my brother and I, we've always been into spooky things. And so with the channel, it's just, it has a focus on properties that have historic interest, uh, paranormal interest, uh, true crime interest, anything like that. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit there uh, before the show about, you know, this, the attempts to sell the Amityville property and selling Lizzie Borden's and some of these places. Uh, there is, for a lot of people, a stigma attached to the idea of buying a home that is haunted. Uh, and we'll we'll get into some of the different reasons why that might be, but just the idea of there possibly being ghosts is something that will freak out a lot of people. Do you have to tell people if the house is haunted? That very much depends on what state you're living in. Uh, here in Massachusetts, no, you do not have to outright say, oh, hello, buyer, this house is haunted. Um, but if the buyer were to flat out ask you, is this house haunted? Have you ever experienced anything? You cannot lie to them. So you have to tell them if there's been reports of activity. Yes, if or- they flat out ask you, you you need to you need to be honest with them. You you and your agent. And it is, but it is true that you do have to also tell them if there's been murders in the house too, right? That that also is very dependent on what state you're living in. Um, uh, California actually has the strictest laws where they, they make you disclose anything within the past three years that have happened in terms of violent crimes. But in Massachusetts, no. Uh, with Massachusetts, they're, we're more focused on uh, privacy for the families. Like if there's been a suicide, you know, like that's, that's a, not, a, not an easy thing to disclose. Yeah. Uh, so, so no. So that, that falls under the stigmatized property laws which basically state in, in our state of Massachusetts that you do not have to disclose anything, but if a buyer asks or, or the buyer's agent asks, you have to be honest. Because I can only imagine, you know, going through this opioid pandemic, what would happen because there's exactly. been so many overdoses. Yeah. So your, you know, your intention here with this YouTube channel and, and this approach is to, you know, to educate people, of course, to let them know about things like what we're discussing here. Uh, but also, you know, hopefully some people will reach out to you if they have properties that they're looking to sell that might be haunted or or if they, you know, are in the market to buy a haunted house. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I'm licensed in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, so I'm, I'm always happy to help. But even if they're out of state, I, you know, I'm always here to, to help if I can in any way. So I'd like to get your take on a few, we've been discussing them here on the show, but I'd like to get your take on a few 
properties that have recently gone up for sale. Put you on the spot here a little bit. Sure. But the the Lizzie Borden house. Now we know that that sold for what it was. I think it was 1.9 million was the final price. Uh, and you know, aside from what's been going on there, you know, with everything going on, is is that? Do you think that that was a good a good price for that house and for that business when you consider, you know, the fact that it is, it's booked pretty much every night. Yeah, I I think that that was a great price. I mean, I mean, the asking price was, I think, just above two million. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's an awful lot of money for for you know an, uh, a house of that size in Fall River. Uh, so I, I mean, it completely uh, you know outpriced anything else, even in even in the commercial sector. Yeah, if, in you, the area. if you strip away the legend, if you strip away the ghost, if you strip away the business, of course, that being the most you know profitable part of that, and you just look at that house and that location. Yeah, like location, location. Nobody location. would want to buy that house. Not really, no. not really. Um, I mean, I, I mean, there's 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 a buyer for every house, but uh, I mean, in terms of that being the property with the the history that it has, I still think that that was a great price. I mean, you know, I mean, I I just I feel like the sale it 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 sold for as much as it could have sold for. Yeah. And then you also had the opportunity to check out Maplecroft yes. and to, to, to tour through there. And that's for sale. Uh, I don't think the price has really changed much on it. It's about, what, about 850000 I think. It might even be a smidge higher than that. It might even be a little closer to nine. Okay. And, and that includes everything in it. Yes. All of the beautiful furniture inside. So, how, I mean, is that something that you think somebody would jump at when you when you consider the fact that Everybody that's bought it has been hoping to turn it into a bed and breakfast, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Right. Well, zoning is a very big issue for that property, a very big issue. And and then and also, too, um, the need to put in some kind of elevator for that property is really holding it back, uh, whereas everything got grandfathered in with the bed and breakfast. Uh, so they didn't, you know, they didn't have to put, put in an elevator and make it. Um, you know, ex- accessible. So I just, I feel like those issues are really holding it back from being made into a, a proper commercial venture. I mean, it, it, it's it's also at a place where I don't know if somebody would really feel like that would be the place to go if you want to stay in a bed and breakfast. I mean, you're going to go if you're interested in the Lizzie Boyden story. Right. Uh, I don't know if you're just looking to get a good night's sleep and a nice bed and breakfast, you're going to sleep next to the hospital. It is right next to the hospital, but it is it is still in the historic highlands. I mean, you know, if you drive around that neighborhood, there's a lot of really gorgeous houses. Yeah, and we we've <laughs> I, it's far better than the other one. We we've spent yeah. a lot we spent right. a lot of time in that neighborhood just standing around, Stephanie and I. Yes. Yes, we did. <laughs> From when I filmed Haunted Towns. Yes. Um actually you spent a lot of time standing around waiting for me to finish. I stood the entire time. Yes. Uh in the rain. But so my life changed, so we're good. Yeah, it worked out well for you. Yeah, it did. Uh, it worked out better for you than it did for me. I got cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't. You made the, the Travel Channel yeah, episode. Yeah. And I did too, apparently, standing around in the background. Yes. So. People, that's, you're like the Easter egg in that episode now. I am. And then another property that is, uh, I, I guess, back on the market again, uh, The Conjuring House. It, it, it was... It went up for sale. We, of course, we broke the story here at WBSM. Uh, went up for sale, and then all of a sudden, started showing up that there was an interested party in buying it. And uh, from what I've heard, there were multiple interested parties in buying and buying it, and they they kind of all fell through. And now it's back up on the market. Right. Well, it was never fully off the market. I okay. don't believe it because what uh, 
what Rhode Island, uh, they, they, they have a special distinction in Rhode Island called active under contract, where that's you have an accepted offer and you're working on it, but it hasn't completely gone through yet. So they are still soliciting backup offers. So that's what it was with The Conjuring House. Okay, so still five people interested, and, and that's at a price that I don't didn't think anybody would really bite at. So I've got to I've got to think that out of those five, they must have been offering pretty close to what they're looking for if they were being taken seriously. Right. I mean, I would think so. I I mean, it's it's so tough to know what's what's going on because there's so many things that can go on behind closed doors in a deal like that. Um, just with 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 real estate, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. I found in the going on eight years that I've been doing this. Uh, so I'd be really interested to know, uh, you know, what happened with that, but. It's one of those things that we'll, we might never find out, but, you know, we might find out more once the house closes. Yeah, I mean, because, I, because then anything, you know, is, you know, is, is, uh, is much more accessible, the information after that. I wanted to ask, but I also didn't want to be nosy, so I didn't, like, right. reach out to Corey and Jen to find out. But, you know, maybe we'll get to hear some of that. I'm just, I just want to know who, like, more than anything, like, who is interested, because that will give you an insight into what, what it is that they're planning to try to do with it. You know, it'd be one thing if it was somebody who's like, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a rich, you know, doctor and I, I just want to buy this place because of the legend of it and own it for myself. And OK, great. But then how many of those people that were putting in those offers are like paranormal people trying to get like five of their friends to chip in and that kind of thing? So I'm sure it's part of that. But, I, you know, the property itself, if you own like horses would be ideal. Mm -hmm. So. You know, it could just be somebody that's looking for a large piece of land in a place that's, you know, not easily accessible to house a farm. Like maybe all the neighbors are chipping in to, to buy Make it together to keep everybody yeah. from going down there, which is, uh, from what I understand, that was uh, something that was discussed with the Amityville house. Really? Yeah. When, when there was a, there was somebody who was trying to buy it years ago that wanted to change the zoning so they could turn mm -hmm. it into a business. And all the neighbors, like, made a pact. This is just a rumor that I heard. They all made a pact that they would chip in and buy it first before they would let that happen. So, which, being there and seeing it makes sense. I mean, being there and seeing how close those houses are together. Yeah, where are you going to park? For the amount of, nowhere, um, the amount of, of house that you get in that neighborhood, um, they're all big, beautiful houses you know, it's, it's, it's one of those houses, those neighborhoods that you see like on, reminds me of like Desperate Housewives. Did you ever see that show? No. Like the, the suburb type, like perfect little neighborhood. It's exactly what we drove through. But if but, you, but if you watch the Ryan Reynolds version of the Amityville Horror, it's like way out there in the woods. Yeah. So the house, like you could sit in your living room and then throw a rock out your window and and go right through your neighbor's window. Yeah, like they can see into each other's houses yeah, there, no like problem. Yeah, you definitely need shades and blinds. So the fact that they would have a business there would not even make sense because those houses are basically on top of each other. Yeah. Well, hey, I talked to somebody once about trying to buy it and... I'm sure you did. I did. Well, if you got a billionaire's <laughs> phone number in your phone, you reach out and you try. It's worth the effort. I can't. Um, but anyway... So have you ever, you know, in the course of your eight years as a realtor, have you dealt in homes that were that were haunted? I unfortunately have not come across a 
a haunted property that I knew about yet. I mean, it's it's entirely possible that, yes, I, I did sell a house that, you know, maybe had a spirit that I just wasn't aware of. Um, but no, I, I did get to sell a gorgeous Victorian house that really looked like it should have been haunted, but it unfortunately was not. Well, you you don't know that for sure. Everywhere is haunted. I really don't. I mean, I spent a lot of time in that house and the sellers, they, they had lived in the house for at least a couple decades, if not three decades, and they had never experienced anything. Have you ever given consideration, considering the access that you have to these homes and the time that you're in there alone, have you given consideration to maybe doing a little investigating? I have not, no. I mean, I don't know. Would would that be morally okay? Because technically they still own it, so wouldn't you need right. their permission? I, I, I wouldn't want to do that because then if, if I were to discover a ghost and oh, then, then somebody you, would ask me, I would then need to disclose to, that. Yeah, that's a good point. You also probably don't want to open that door if the door is not already open. Right, right. I don't I don't really like to play with fire so much. So But maybe you know some paranormal investigator friends <laughs> that you could say, Hey, I'm gonna leave the back door open well, and if you wanna... I can always ask a, a future seller and see see how they'd feel. <laughs> I mean if anybody ever needs a consultation, you now know a weirdo. But um <laughs> You know, that type of thing, you know, you go in there, uh, like people always say like, oh, I don't want to use a Ouija board or I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. It's going to open, you know, some type of gateway. And it's like, if you just go in and say, hi, is there anyone here? It's opening the exact same door. But you do that and then people move in. You've invited Joe Schmo from down the street. That's kind of cranky. Now you have people that want to just turn around and sell it again and get out. So I would at least, you know, make sure that they continuously reuse you as the realtor if that's something like that's going to happen because otherwise you're going to lose a lot of business. Because mm -hmm. ghosts, they're very picky. They're, they're very, um, they know what they want. So wow. I had a phone call actually from a childhood friend the other day who just bought a house in Raynham. And uh, she's like, all right, my house is haunted. Like, I swear to God, you know, all these different things are happening. She explains some of the stuff and she's like, so how do we get rid of it? And I was like, good luck. Like, I can come and have a chat. But the idea is to coexist because they were here first. You know, you can't just kick them out and then hope for the best. So it's a, it's a weird business. Ghosts are a weird business. I also think, too, that when you've got, you know, like we're talking about on the other side, uh, not the other side with capital letters, yes. but the other side of haunted locations, like we were saying before, some people actually want to find a haunted home. Yep. Correct. Uh, and have you ever had anybody that has asked that, that has said, you know, we'd love a place that has ghosts if you know of any. I have not met anyone yet who has said that to me. Uh, well, that's because I'm just not ready to buy yet. <laughs> but... I mean, our friend Tom D'Agostino, when, uh, when him and his wife Arlene were out looking for a home, they they you know they tell this story in their in their lectures about how uh, you know they started asking questions, and the the realtor was like, "Listen, I'm, uh, I guess I I have to tell you now because you're asking, and I'm really sorry to you know let you down like this if you were interested in this property." But and they started telling them about all the activities, like, "No, no, 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 we love that. We like we like that part of it." So, I mean, you might be, get to the point where sellers are starting to ask for more money when people are looking for haunted locations. D depending on the property, yeah. I mean, uh, definitely with properties like the, the Lizzie House, the Conjuring House, you know, that that has a, a, ve a very famous history to it. So that that's that's a case where you you might want to market a property that way if you're selling it in order to get more, more money than just what's there in terms of the brick and mortar. So 
what are the plans going forward with the the YouTube channel? I know that you said you have some other videos planned. You know, what what types of content will people be finding there? Um, so there will be more videos coming up. Uh, the next video coming up will be about the, the Lizzie Borden house, the, the, the murder house. Uh, in the future, I'll do a Maple Croft video as well. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll mostly be, um, each video will be about a specific house. Uh, but there also might be videos too, um, about say, if you're, if you're dealing with selling or buying a haunted property tips for things like that. Um, so just a, a, number of interesting things and I always really like to focus on history so there'll be a bit of a spin on that too. And somebody's listening right now that has a haunted house in Fairhaven or New Bedford. There's an old whaling captain roaming their halls and you know they're looking to get out of there. How can people reach out to you if they want to either sell a haunted house through you or buy one through you? Uh, well I do have a website the surrealtor.com and that's S-U-R-R-E-A-L-T-O-R and uh, yeah, so um, that's got my email on there. You can shoot me an email. I'm also on social media. I'm on Facebook. Uh, so that's got everything on there that you can uh, that you can contact me through. Excellent. Well, yeah. I listen. I think you're going to get somebody here that's going to call up and be like, "Listen, I've had four realtors in here, and they all run out screaming. So you need to come and help <laughs> me sell my house." Especially nowadays when, you know, if, if this is the, the seller's market, right? This is it, the time to yes, sell. Yes, yes, it is still a seller's market. Thank you, pandemic. So if you've got ghosts and you're looking to, to move, this is the time to do it. Uh, now, of course, you will also deal with anybody who doesn't have ghosts either, of too. Of course, yeah. of course. Like, we don't want people to think they just got to, they need to have a paranormal investigation first before no, they no, can no, work no, with no. you. No, 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 no. So now let's just shift gears a little bit. We're going to go back into the Amityville case, but I want to get your perspective on this. The DeFeo murders happened uh, November 13th, 1974. Uh, you know, within months, really, the house is on the market. Uh, the Lutz family ends up buying it. But, I mean, how does a realtor approach something like that to, to have a home where not only were there six murders that happened in there, but everybody knows that that's the house? Right. I mean, if, if everybody knows, then it almost makes it easier if everybody knows, but then you, you really need to just price it accordingly. Um, and, and really have, have a conversation with, with whatever seller there is left, uh, that, that, you know, you may need to reduce the price. I mean, I it went for $80,000, right. which in 1974 money, I know it was a lot different than it $80,000 is now, but still for a house that size and in that location, in that lovely neighborhood. Yeah. That, that was, you know, still a steal at that price. Uh, but when you, you know, you see, you hear some of these accounts and you hear some telling of it. Oh, the Lutz has had no idea that that was like, everybody knew that that was the house. Right. You couldn't not know. Right. Um, and, and like you said, that might make it easier, but at the same time, like that's got to really be tough from a negotiation standpoint for the person selling it because right, you're right. not going to get a lot of offers. It, it, exactly. Exactly. Or if you do, there'll be lowball offers. Uh, but that, that just really is the reality of it. And um, I mean, it's, it's not that you can't sell the house. It's just that, you know, that this is the reality that you're dealing with. And I don't know how it was in 1974, but I'm sure, you know, Moniz and Stephanie, you guys know that this is the way that things go in 2021, that that house being for sale, the realtor, you know, on, on behalf of probably the surviving family members that were trying to sell that house would have to take into account the idea that, you know, what are the intentions of the person that is buying this? Because in 1974, it might not have been a big deal, but in this year, uh, in, in, you know, in current times, somebody would move into that house and exploit that. 
Right. And so if you've got somebody coming in with three kids, you know, that's a family. They want to live there. They're not looking to exploit it. At least that's what you would think. But you've got somebody that might come in and say, oh, you know, I know what happened here. It doesn't bother me any. It's my dream house. I want to move in. Just me. You know, you got to think, well, what's the alter, what's the uh, ulterior motive here? Right. Uh, well, I mean, y- you can, You. I mean, you can always ask a buyer, you know, if they have any intentions. But I mean, really, unless you, unless you put something in the deed, once you've sold it, that buyer can now do as they wish. Yeah, that's rough, though, because that could be somebody moving in and exploiting the tragedy that happened to your loved ones. It's po- it's possible. So that's why, I mean, you there is always the potential to explore with a real estate attorney um, to have something in the purchase and sale agreement saying that, you know, they will not turn it into a business to do such and such. Um uh, you know, a real estate attorney is, is somebody who could who could really help a seller and, with something like that. And those are legally binding, if you put that in there. Yes. What, what's what's the consequence if somebody does decide to to go against uh, that? Well, i I think I think that very much depends on what the consequence is. But you know, you can you can always put in deed restrictions, um, mm-hmm. you know, that are on file with the registry. Um, so, I mean, if, if something goes against a deed restriction, like, well, then, you know, then a lien might be put against the property, things like that. Cause I know they're working on the conjuring house sale. They wanted to have it that they, they wanted to put in there that they had to honor all of the, uh, people that had already booked to come in and do the investigations. And then they were like, well, you probably don't want to put that in there. Cause it's really going to, you know, you, you, you kind of right, want that to be something, somebody, yeah, somebody's going to do out of the goodness of their heart, mm-hmm, not because mm-hmm. they're legally you know, contracted to do so. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see where that's going because it might take, by the time they get that house sold, they might have already gone through all those bookings. They might it's, not. It's, it's very possible. Plus two, commercial sales can take longer sometimes than residential sales. Like the New Bedford Armory? That's still for sale, right? That hasn't, that hasn't moved in years. They auctioned it off and they put it, they, they tried to auction it off, nobody bid on it. And then they tried to put it up for sale again. Oh, that, that's been quite a, you should see if you can get in there. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, then well, then you can leave the back door. You sure door you're open. not looking to buy, Tim? Uh, somebody actually approached me about buying that New Bedford Armory. You can't live there. Some well, somebody wanted to buy it as a business, and it was, I wasn't going to buy it. They wanted to open it as <clears throat> a like they wanted to put a paranormal bookstore in there, and like an event center and a training facility, and they wanted to use it to train paranormal investigators. And so they were like, yeah, we've got this whole great plan of how we can do it. And, you know, and and I want you to come and help us run it and all that. And I was like, well, listen, if you make this all happen, put out a contract for me and I'll look it over and, you know, we'll talk about it. And then they went to go look at it. And that's when they realized that the second floor had fallen into the first floor. They they didn't know. So they were like, yeah, no, I don't think we can make that work. Because (laughs) it's just a giant disaster in there. Um, But... So just, you know, going back into the Amityville case, uh, here it is being, as I mentioned earlier, the anniversary of those DeFeo murders. And I think that's become kind of a lost part of the story of Amityville, that because of the, the, the Amityville horror book and movie and the Lutz case and all of the movies that have come out since, like that has kind of taken over. People forget the fact that six people were murdered in that house. And that was kind of the impetus for all of this. And they've almost become secondary characters in a different story. And, you know, Stephanie being there, 
you, you you do get kind of amped up and excited about, oh, wow, yeah, it's the Amityville Horror House and, you know, all the stuff that's happened to this. But, you know, then it really quickly settles in like, wait a minute, six people were killed here. And obviously these neighbors must have known them very well because they live, you know, practically on the same property. And these neighbors must have known. And then you start to realize, like, it wasn't just, you know, uh, something that happened to that family. It's something that happened to that entire community. I think being who I am, like not into horror movies or, you know, anything of that aspect, the house was never like a house to me. It wasn't something like, oh, I want to go see the house because the house, like the true crime aspect always lured me in or I wanted to know, you know, the facts of, of that. For people that don't know, I studied psychology and criminal justice for a long time in college. So that was always fascinating to me. But I think like the one line that they kept repeating in the documentary was when I said six people were slaughtered in their sleep. And, you know, we, I said that, you know, during my interview of, you know, we, we lose sight of what truly happened and why it happened. Why is this house what it is? You know, how did it become what it is? And, you know, people, even in the documentary, we're saying like, oh, the house is like a celebrity or the house is this, but it's because a movie made it that way. But it wouldn't be what it is unless those people lost their lives. Yeah, I mean, Moni's, I know that, you know, the case in the movie came out when you were relatively young, but, you know, you lived it through all of those sequels that were coming out, all those direct-to-video films and uh, some of them, mm, yeah, some of them, yeah, not, not, yeah. not as good as others. Uh, but, you know, there was always, you know, Amityville was always associated with the horror and not with the murders. Well, I'm old enough to remember when the murder murders So you do, happened. you do remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a kid, but I still remember it being on the news, yeah. And then <laughs> years later, the, you know, the whole Amityville book first, then mm -hmm. the movie came after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was one of the first cases in terms of paranormal that got my attention drawn to, you know, this is something that other people experience because I was used to other local haunted things, you know, and then when you start seeing things being haunted other places, you realize, okay, this is going on, other, you know, when you're 10, 12 years old, you, you're not thinking your, your world is where yeah. you live. <clears throat> and then you realize this is happening other places. So yeah, yeah, well, did affect. And and so as you're, you know, as as this is kind of progressing into becoming the realm of legend, uh, it, it does kind of push those murders back into the background of the story. And you, you know, obviously, when this documentary came out, and when any document, you know, when the shock doc came out with uh, Discovery Plus last year, and you know, as this stuff comes out, you you do have that groundswell of people who are basically blasting these productions because it is exploitative about mm -hmm. the murders. And and there is, I mean, really, we can't say that people are wrong to feel that way. I can say that these productions try and do the best that they can to not be that way, but. You know, not all of them, but right. you know, you like to think that that that's what their intention is. They're not trying to make make this into something. Uh, you, you know, the horror story is in the hauntings, not in the murders, and that's the way that it should be presented. And even when people try to do that, there's still those who are against it. I mean, I've joined a couple Amityville Facebook groups, and there is a, a hard, divisive line of people mm -hmm. that really don't like the fact that. There has been a cottage industry that has popped up over the murders of six people, and it's 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 been ongoing now for you know over forty years. Well, where do you draw the line at? 
You know, it's, you can make the same argument about people that go visit like Civil War things. Well, you know, you're dealing with murder. It's still murder. Well, it's I just think larger. Civil scale. War is something maybe a little different because it's history. You know, as in terms of like how this country how came it affected, to be. Yeah. And, and but, but to be fair too, when it comes to war, <clears throat> those people that perished went into it knowing that that was. A possibility. Correct. Right. You know, that that's different. Like, we are reading Unless about Unless you're this talking the civilian collateral damage, but... True. Yeah, but, you know, knowing that you're in the area, knowing what's coming, okay. I understand that aspect of it. You know, this is in our, our school history textbooks. You know, children go on field trips to these locations. So, you know, that's to learn about the past, and I understand that. But, like, places even like the Lizzie Borden house, the, the Velisca Axe murder house. Like, why are, why are these things... And I've always said this. I've, I've been saying this for a year now mental asylums why are we glorifying the torture that these people went through right and 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 when i was working on those different shows and doing the research like there were stories i'm I'm not gonna lie there were some stories that i was like i'm not gonna mention this because i know this will become the focus and that's not right there's a place that this particular group has asked me to go for years and I'm going to be completely flat out honest about it but one of the stories was like oh you know you got to come there's a 12 year old that was raped and killed here why do I want to go? I looked them right in the face and I said, why would I want to be there? I said, that's very recent, like super duper recent. I said, but what am I going to get out of bringing a group of people there to pay to do something like that? I said, number one, I'm a mother. Number two, like, I, I just think that that's disgusting and wrong. I said, but that's my opinion and I'm going to keep walking. So, but places like that, people ask all the time, like, oh, can we go here? Can we go here? Can you host an event here? And I'm like, no, the places that I go, me personally, and I have that choice, are super duper historical places. I mean, Tim, you know, and like Matt, you've been with me, like, oh, yeah. I love history. Yeah. And if there's something that I can teach someone from this location that will keep history alive, keep their tours funded, whatever it might be, after I leave, then I've done my job. I'm not bringing people just for a thrill. And I'm I'm so over that aspect of the paranormal when it comes to all of these places. Like, stop glorifying these horrific things that have happened to people. Well, I mean, I, I think that there's, there's levels of appropriateness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just for example, you know, we went to, um, to, to the Wayside Inn in Sudbury. Yes. And you're, you're kind of... You're kind of poking into a tragic story with Jerusha Howe, who was, you know, left in, by her love, by the love of her life, and you know, sat there waiting for him by the window for years mm-hmm. afterwards. And like, that's a sad story. It's super sad, but it was her choice. And and it's also, if you if you go there and you communicate with her, mm-hmm. if you're dwelling, you know, dredging up that sadness that she felt, you would also think that there's probably some degree of healing for her to talk about that too well that's what i was going to say the other side of that is are all these people you know coming to see her and understanding what she went through if she is still there is that help her soul any we don't know well i I think that the way that they handle things there certainly do with tucking the letters up and everybody you know it's very saying like we we appreciate you and we're you know we love you and we're, we're glad that you're still around but you know you're talking about going to a place where a 12 year old was raped and murdered Mm -hmm. and I think what people forget, or maybe they don't believe, depending on what they feel about about spirits, is so now what you're going to do is you're going to call up or conjure up, depending on how you want to look at it, that spirit, mm-hmm. 
And then you're going to, like, do you think they're going to ask that 12-year-old spirit, like, hey, what do you like to do in your free time? No, they're going to want to talk about being raped exactly. and murdered. And so then if that is the spirit of a 12-year-old person who has, you know, been stuck in that location or even moved on, comes however it is that you want to define it, like, you're going to go there and intentionally make them live through the worst moment of their life. It should not be a conversation, period. Whether it happened in the 1700s, 1800s, or... 1970 something like I think this one is now, I, I think that it's fair that if you happen to be there and you in, in, encounter that spirit it's okay to say like oh hello you know Joe right. do you have anything that you'd like to say to us correct but not to bring that into the line of questions I, I you're don't, not purposely going there for that intention to communicate with that particular spirit because of how they met their demise we, we've done a, a place where there's a spirit who is um, well-known, and it's somebody who had committed suicide and not that long ago. Mm-hmm. You know, fairly recent, in recent memory, so it's not talked about. Mm-hmm. And every time we go, that spirit makes itself known. Yep. And communicates. And, you know, there's just, we are kind of all under the understanding that we don't talk about that. And maybe that has become cathartic for that spirit to talk, but nobody mm-hmm. goes in there and starts that Correct. line of questioning. And yeah. if you do... The people that run the place would be like, you're out of here. Right. There's another place that we go where the family has specifically asked us not to discuss their family member. And that is fine. That is completely okay. Nah. Well, it's not. It's I kind of push that limit. I understand, like, if it happens, that's fine. But, you know, we're not going in there just saying, like, screw your rules. Right. Screw what you think or how you feel because it's your family member. So... At what point then does it go from being, because this is, this is the, the, the hard question that really kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, where does it become somebody's loved one in a tragic story and then crosses over into the realm of paranormal legend? Because at some point, we need to talk about the things that are happening. So, I mean, you're referencing Edaville. Okay, right? I wasn't sure if so, I was allowed to. Well, we'll probably get some flack from it, but... Okay. At what point do people, now that we go there and do investigations and people are encountering specific spirits, Mm -hmm. at what point can you not talk about those specific spirits when, you know, that's happening all the time? Um, It's not the same type of death Mm -hmm. as what happened with the other place that we're not going to name where somebody took their own life. This was one death was an accident, but when I talk, that's not the spirit that I talk about. I talk about the spirit of somebody who passed away from natural causes at old age and just happens to go back there and haunt, you know? So at some point there has to be a a, a line where it is okay because it crosses into the legend of the location Mm -hmm. more than it is necessarily the, the, the tragedy of the, the people that were there. You know, I think telling the story of what happened makes sense, you know, specifically being asked not to try to communicate. I can understand that. Like, hey, here's a history, but this is what, not what we're going to do because, and like having people teaching an entire group of like a hundred people, like we've had there before, what to do and what not to do, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. I think that, you know, that's fair saying that our fa- the family asked us to specifically not communicate and this is why, and like have people have that light bulb go on and be like, oh, you know, this does affect people that are still living. This does happen. Maybe I can apply this knowledge to the next place that I end up. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, the history of the location. And, you know, if that did ever come up, I don't remember because it's been so long and I was super pregnant at the last one. So I had no brain cells left. But, um, you know, having, 
you know, that respect I think is completely lost and gone. And I've asked a th- so many people at every lecture that I've gone to, like, why do you go to these places? Why do you glorify these horrific things that have happened to people? What is the point? And nobody can answer that question. So I think that there is there is a, a, a difference in some cases. So the Lizzie Borden case, the paranormal aspect of it came up because of the true crime interest in mm-hmm. it. So it's almost like, for lack of a better term, the true crime excuses the paranormal because that's really how that came about. That wasn't just ghost hunters running into the building and being like, all right, two people were killed here. Like, let's talk about what happened here. And you can you can say it's the same with Velisco because people have long been trying to solve that crime. Right. Um, and, and, and talking to the spirits might just be part of that. But if you look at, so what what we did in Amityville, we, we kind of chose that methodology for a reason because that didn't involve us starting the conversation. That involved you turning on the Echo Vox, mm-hmm. having whatever came through, came through, you connecting, you know, the way that you connect as well, and then me just asking questions based on what starts coming through. And I didn't really get, like, in the questions, I didn't, you know, if you had said, uh, well, I mean, I guess, you know, spoiler alerts if you haven't watched the video. <laughs> so, like, if you say Butch, I'm not like, did Butch kill you? Right. Tell us when Butch came into the room. Like, I'm, right. I'm just letting it come through because it's not, I don't want to. I remember the, one of the first times I did that experiment um, in a group of people and I allowed them to. <laughs> and it was at the Houghton Mansion. Um, and I let everybody sit in a circle and I let everybody ask a question. And I said to somebody like, okay, actually to the entire group that I had at that time, like, let's stay away from questions like, are you dead? Do you know that you're dead? How did you die? Like those are pointless. Have a conversation like you would you and I, the first person to ask their question yelled at the top of their lungs. Do you know you're dead? And I was like, we just went over this. Like there's a way to do this and there's a way not to do this. And that is a hundred percent the way not to do it. And I've, you know, I've traveled to the the world the last couple of years doing this stuff and I always give that speech and there's always one person that has to ask that question it's like I if somebody walked up to you on the street was like why do you look like that you'd be like what do you mean like I can't change it <laughs> it's the same thing like why are you dead they can't change it oh they God. don't know I'm already you know? shamed enough I don't need you to add more to my shame so it's just it's it's terrible because you don't know if that spirit is left with their their bodily physical emotions and and doing any worse damage like just just have a normal conversation well there's probably people that are out there listening saying well then if that's the case then you shouldn't be doing any of it and uh and we can we can discuss that too coming up uh, on the other side but we are coming up against our break uh, in the next hour if you have any thoughts questions comments you can call in especially if you have you know theories about the Amityville murders if you have anything uh, that you feel about the Amityville hauntings 508-996-0500 is the number to call in and share your thoughts you can also email us spooky crew at spooky southcoast.com you know maybe that uh, maybe you're a little bit nervous about coming on the radio but you shouldn't be Moniz is the only one that bites uh you can also uh, reach out to us on Twitter. We are at SpookySC, or you can use the hashtag SpookyLive. And I have TweetDeck open, so I'm following along with the conversation. Hello to Maureen. Hello to Derek. Thank you for joining in and tweeting during the program tonight. So uh, we will take our break. What's this fly doing flying around me? Uh, and then we'll be back with more Spooky South Coast coming up in just a few moments right here 
on WBSM. South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, psychic medium Stephanie Burke. has uh, she's, She went home. She's a little under the weather, so we sent her home. But we are keeping Erin Sylvia here with us, too, because we're not going to let you escape. Now you're a co-host, so Yay. you're stuck. Uh, but we and you know, we were talking before about uh, about the Surrealtor, your new venture. Yes. And uh, the Surrealtor.com is the website everybody can go to. Correct. All your contact info is there, and... Mm -hmm. uh, they can get links to your YouTube channel yes, there. And yes, right on the first page. There you go. Uh, Moniz, uh, I can tell you now that um, I have never, you know, I've never looked to buy a house, uh, but I did I did a lecture in Plymouth a couple of years ago mm -hmm. uh, around Halloween time, and there was a realtor present in the presentation who wanted to um, show me this house that she was trying to help sell. And uh, telling me it was from like 1660s or something. And I was like, all right, well, I definitely want to check it out. She's like, well, it's right down the street. You're going to drive by it on your way home. You want to go check it out? And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? So I went through it and um, and I was like kind of in love with it. And I really would have been interested in trying to, to, to buy it. Except when I walked through, the floors were like super spongy. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like they were going to give any moment. And so I was, um, I, I, I've regretted not possibly buying that in all the years since but Aaron confirmed that yes the floors were very spongy in that house yes yes I, I also visited the house I showed it to a buyer let me guess the original you know rough cut uh, pine yes plank, yes random roughly about what? wide pine naughty pine yeah three foot wide yeah I yes. had a friend that had a house in Rochester line of Wareham and these boards were huge and the same kind of thing is just the way they made the construction back then it, well i mean it felt like it was going to give way with me just walking and i was like well wait till i put furniture in here it's going to feel even worse but it you know it was a it was i don't want to say that it was a beautiful house because it you know it needed a lot of work like it did, visually it did. i mean the the naughty pine i i thought was very beautiful but i i thought that it was just it was something that I had entire visions about like how I would make it all work, like um, oh I'll make my son a little apartment in that upstairs little area there, and uh, then I'll have one of these bedrooms over here. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, she said that the people that live there claim that there's activity, and then maybe I could just live upstairs and people could investigate the downstairs and you know all that kind of. And then the original, the basement was the original downstairs of it, and that's where the original fireplace was with the hearth and all that. And I was like, well, I'm gonna. I want to rip out all the stuff that's down there and restore all that and everything. So I had all these great ideas, and uh, I think it finally did sell, though. 
Yes, I, I believe it did. Well, the day I showed it, it was the day after it had just gone under contract. Oh, okay. Yes. So, but it was, it's, I've always wanted to live in a house from the 1600s, but it's also a lot of, like, you got to either really know about stuff or you've got to know somebody that knows about stuff or right. have a lot of money to fix stuff. Right. And that house needed a whole new kitchen. Yes. Badly. I've got a couple of other questions I'd like to ask you. Now, since we're talking about paranormal and real estate, you're saying that in certain states, you have to disclose if you know there's reports of it being haunted, correct? Not not necessarily of it being haunted. It's it, more so with violent crimes. Okay. Uh, there's 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 no state that flat out says you you need to disclose ghosts. I believe it is Vermont does say very loosely that if you know of anything that could affect the price of the property, you need to disclose that. So some people could argue, okay. hey, ghosts fall under that category, sure. but there there is there is no no state that specifically says disclosing ghosts, just mostly things like oh. murders, things like that. Okay, so not necessarily anything what would be considered paranormal or related. Now, what about, you know, we're dealing with a lot of other things that are also spooky. Suppose this is a legitimate question because I know somebody that actually had this had happen. Uh, this person had property. This is out west, west coast. And uh, their property had a regular shall we say Harry hominid that used to come to their property and steal stuff uh you know would you have to report that in the sale uh, you understand where i'm going with that right i i don't so basically he had a big living on his property oh. they used to raid his apple trees <laughs> okay um no well you know since since that since that didn't fall under it being a violent crime so there's there's no law stating that you need to disclose a, a Bigfoot that occasionally yeah, crosses through like your property. You well, could consider it to be like wildlife almost. That's, right. That's what I'm... Right. Well, actually, they're not actually a, like, animal, animal, no more than we are. They're actually a tribe of human that is, but... Well, well uh, but there's no, there's no, like, legal definition for what a Bigfoot right. is. So right. you yeah. just lump it into wildlife and be fine. Yeah, it's not it's not a history of, of something that... Uh, that happened that was a crime it's still okay. be good it's still be good to warn the person buying it ahead of time just so that they're not surprised but I, I mean i mean for any of it really it's it's nice to give somebody a heads up but it's you know it's 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 a matter of what you have to do versus right. what you don't have to do and what you're legally on the hook for if you don't do correct uh, i would think too that um you know a, a, the, the the kind of the bigger outside part of this isn't necessarily the activity that happens at these places, but maybe the, the, the stories that have popped up around them. So while it may not be, it may not be something that you need to report that there's a Bigfoot that comes to the yard and steals apples. If a lot of people know that this is a place where a Bigfoot frequents and you might have a tendency to have Bigfoot hunters show up on your property looking for said Bigfoot, then yeah, that's something you need to let people know. It, you know, like the conjuring house, if the story wasn't yeah. out there, uh, that it was a haunted house for sale and somebody was just trying to sell it, you would have to say, like, just say, no, people show up randomly in your yard and here's why. Like, that part of it is what makes it a stigmatized property, is the right. fact that you've got people that are going to show up in your yard whether you want them there or not. Right. 
and there's there's you know that's that's a legal battle that you're going to have to deal with. Um, I don't think that you know if you listen to the Heinzens talk about why they're selling the Conjuring House, they thought they could handle that aspect of it, and it's that aspect of it that's getting to the point where they can't handle it anymore. Right. So yeah, I mean, when you get that's there's got to be also though some is there is is would there be a reasonable expectation within the sale for somebody to say, listen, you knew what you were buying when you bought it? I, I mean, it, it it really all depends. Uh, I, I mean, if, if something is that famous, then, then, then yes, you know what you were getting into. Like if you, if you buy the Lizzie Borden house and you're like, holy crap, this place is haunted. Or, you know, holy crap, there's people showing up in my driveway taking photos all the time. I, yeah, yeah. Then I, I mean, that, that comes with the territory of buying a famous house. I, I mean, I wouldn't mind so much if uh, if I, if people wanted to come to my house and take photos on the outside. Just, like, let me know so I can prepare, so I can make sure that, like, I'm standing shirtless in the window or, you know, blasting, uh, you know, screaming Jay Hawkins on the stereo or just whatever <laughs> I can do to really weird people out even more. Um, it's funny because... Well, you still had that John Tesh CD. True, I did. I got that from the car that I bought from you. Um, there was... <laughs> Oh, you want to hear a funny story? Uh-huh. Uh, I'll, I'll put Moniz on the spot here a little bit. I um, I bought a car from him uh, years ago. Great car. Uh, and uh, when I got it, he had left one of his CDs in in the stereo. And I'm like, oh, Moniz and I like a lot of the same music. This is going to be great. Put it in. It's like Iron Maiden, Dio, all kinds of great stuff. And I'm jamming out to it. And then all of a sudden, just randomly out of nowhere, Love Shack starts playing. <laughs> And then I was like, that's odd. And then the next song was, I'm Too Sexy. And I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> and I called him and I was like, what, what, what is this CD? And he's like, oh, that's... It's my mix. Yeah. So... It's, yeah, just a random thing that, you know, when you... It just was, was unexpected. Playing, yeah. You know how you can do a shuffle yeah. on an iPod? Well, I was experimenting. I did a shuffle and burnt it to a CD. So whatever came up in the shuffle... Ended up on the CD. So I was like, I like all of these songs. I don't necessarily flow in a, you know, listening pattern, but okay. Yes. If you, if you listen to my iPod, it was, I wish I could find it. It was, um, it was quite the eclectic mix as I'm sure most people's are. Yeah. Um, but just jumping back into the, into the Amityville story, uh, we've been talking about how the DeFeo murders became a secondary story to that. And it's become to the point where, you know, in recent years there's been more of a, a drive to try and tell that story. Ryan Katzenbach's documentary, three-part documentary series, was focusing on the DeFeos. Uh, we had uh, the movie that Daniel Farrens put out a movie a couple of years ago that was about the DeFeo family. Uh, and what's interesting about that movie is he actually had Diane Franklin as Louise DeFeo, and she was in... Amityville 2 as the Don DeFeo character. If you remember Amityville 2, yeah. it was the DeFeo story, but it wasn't the, they didn't use the name. Yeah. Um, but that, I thought that was very interesting. And there's, uh, there's a couple other documentaries in addition to the two that have already come out, the Shock Doc and Famously Haunted Amityville that are coming out that are focusing more on the murders. Um, I, I think that there's been an ass, and I wish Stephanie had stuck around because we could debate about this because she thinks that there was a second shooter involved in the case. Uh, I do not. I think that there's... That, ha that was one of the rumors. 
Well, and and Ronnie DeFeo claimed that Don was involved in it, and it, at certain times he claimed she she was the one that committed the murders, and then he killed Took her yeah. before she was about to kill him. Um, but there's one thing that I had a problem with about the famously haunted documentary is they took some of the things that are out there and made it sound as if it was total fact. Like, like gunpowder was found on Don DeFeo's nightgown. Yes, there was unburned gunpowder found on her nightgown. That doesn't mean that she shot a rifle. So, like, they kind of talked in an absolute about that when she was also I don't think they needed shot, to. Right? Yes. She was... So. She was shot, and she was laying in a sleeping position when she was found. So it's quite possible that if he was close enough when he shot her, gunpowder would get on her. Correct. Um, Gunpowder doesn't completely burn each time you shoot. No, and you often find it, you know, that's why you'll find it on the hands of the shooter. Correct. But you'll also find it on objects nearby. And um, one of the other things about that is they never found any of Ronnie's skin under her nails. So, you know, Ronnie DeFeo is claiming that there was a struggle and that they fought and there's like there was no signs on her body that there had been a physical struggle between the two of them. So it's just, you know, it's it's something that hasn't sat right with me. You know, obviously she's looking at it from a different perspective, you know, not only what she's researched, but also, you know, what she's picking up uh, intrinsically. And so I think it's just going to be one of those questions that won't get answered. Uh, But there has been a tendency from people to want to like reopen the case. And I, I don't understand why, because Ronnie's been convicted of the murders. He's dead now. Uh, and we have closure for it and it appears to be the right closure. So I don't know why people keep like picking at that scab to see if they can rip it off and it'll bleed a different color underneath. It, it, it's, I, I think it's just the true crime fascination that people have now. And this is an important true crime case, so the true crime buffs that are out there now don't want to have it be solved because, you know, they want a shot at it. They want to crack it at the case. I don't know what you guys think about that. Well, I, I think you're pretty right on. I mean, people, they, they want answers. They're always looking for answers to, to questions that, you know, left them in the dark. Why? Why? Everybody wants to really know why did that happen? Why did he do it? Because, you know. We don't like a mystery. Well, we don't like an unsolved mystery. Right. Unless it's the show Unsolved Mysteries, then we love it. Yeah. Robert Sack. Yeah. And then um, the other part of this story, though, too, is it's there's, there's a bit of a social contract in the Amityville story where we know that a lot of the stuff that's come out in the later years is complete garbage. You know, like uh, a lot of the movies and the books and everything that have come out have no relation to the original case. But we're okay with that because we just want the the entertainment value of that product. And I don't know if there are other cases where people would would uh, suffer through the same thing, where they would accept the same thing, where they would say, you know, if, if for example, the Lizzie Borden movies that have come out in recent years, um, the one with Christina Ritchie, and then there was the one with um, Chloe Sevigny. Chloe. And... People had problems with these because they were looking at the story from a different lens. And they're like, no, 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 there's no retelling of that story. And there's no need to kind of extrapolate that story. And there's no need to, to do this and to do that because they've been become very protective of, for some reason, the Amityville story. They're like, yeah, let's, let's, let's tell it all different ways. And let's talk about the, the photograph that was captured of a 
probably a paranormal investigator that was on the scene. But let's say that it was one of the DeFeos that was murdered. Like, there's a lot of stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with the Ghost Boy of Amityville photo. I, I saw that in the documentary. Very, it was very creepy. Very creepy, but probably not paranormal. Um, but all Do you this, think it was a little boy? I think it was the probably the paranormal investigator. I've seen he had the, a very boyish face. Well, I think it was probably the way that it was. Well, and here's where it comes down a little bit, because I do believe the investigator had a beard. And the photo does not appear to have a beard. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the you know, the, the night vision exposure, especially of the time, it could wash out some features. Right. Uh, the shirt does look remarkably like the shirt that the investigator was wearing that particular night. Um, so there is a lot of things that make me lean toward that direction, but there are some other things that make me say, well, maybe there is something. But the investigator even himself said, I don't know. Well, I mean, you've probably got a reason to want to say that too. Agreed. But I mean, if he's worth his salt, like uh, you and I did, oh, no, that was me copying. That was you and sure. But, but I can give you a, for instance, in the other direction where, I'm not always forthcoming with information. Um, what, like a certain tank? No, uh, that's a different story. There's, there's, the, the like when somebody comes up to me and shows me an orb photo, oh. and they want to tell me like, oh, I think this is like my uncle George, and I, I used to say, well, no, if you look, there's the reflection of this and that, and this is happening, and maybe it's moisture or whatever, and I've kind of just gone with the approach that that actually you know a friend of ours suggested to say you don't know that it isn't yeah so all you can really say to them is well if you don't think it's this this or this then i don't know what else it could be so i've kind of had to like and i'm sure i'm playing into somebody's mistake yeah but i also understand like they're not coming at me because they're a paranormal investigator and they think this is evidence they're coming at me because they're a grieving person and they want to think that their loved one is still around them so I, I will kind of, you know, be like, yeah, it could very well be, you know, you, you'd have every reason to want to show up and hang around his favorite nephew, you know, so that's, that's, anybody that's listening that I've told that to is now like, oh, you freaking disingenuous <laughs> liar. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it, the perspective is right. I don't know that it isn't. You know, somebody sent me photos the other day uh, of, a, of an event they were at, uh, you know, a, a wedding. And they said, look at these orbs that were showing up in this photo. And do you think that this might be, you know, a loved one coming? And I was like, no, if you look, that is the light fixture on the wall. And then the camera reflecting back that light fixture. So it will show up as a little orb of light on the person's back. And, you know, it's not the answer that you want to hear. But you also weren't looking for closure on anything either. You just thought it might be something. So like uh, in that regard, I don't mind kind of crushing your paranormal dreams. Uh, But it's just sometimes it's easier to just let people have what it is that they're looking for. Now that when it comes time to an, for an investigation, that's a different story. Now you want to be teaching them the critical thinking skills involved in it. Um, Well, that's what I'm saying. Theoretically, this was supposed to be an investigation. So you're not trying to basically sugarcoat something for somebody else. This is somebody, these are people that were in the house doing this investigation. This is data, period. But I think that that was a different story. In in agreeing to the ghost boy photo and in... Feigning ignorance, I should say. Yeah. 
and the ghost boy photo that is more of a more of a marketing tool okay so it's not completely on the level but i also understand why they did it i'm not saying that's right mm. but i understand why they were doing it because especially if you want to get back into that house and you want to have another investigation you want them to think that there was a reason to go back yeah, I get it. But when you think about it, anything that the Warrens were involved in, right. here comes the part it. where uh, everybody gets mad because I crap on the Warrens. But if you think about it, like, the Warrens never got Ed involved. Ed was a nice guy. Why? But he's saying crap on the Warrens. I was like, Ed was a nice guy. Yeah, I'm not talking about them personally. Oh. I'm talking about, like, their methodology. Oh. Um, but everybody gets mad when I, when I talk about this, that they, they did sensationalize things. Oh, yeah. That, you know, they called in the media because that was the way that they marketed. They didn't have a Facebook page that people could reach out to them on. So they had to keep themselves out there as the ghost hunters. Um, so there's, you know, there's probably some things that were overblown, such as their involvement in the Conjuring case, such as their involvement in the Enfield Poltergeist case. That was really overblown in the movie. Um, so, by the way, total side note. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, well, last week, I don't even know what date it is anymore, but, um, 13th, I, I called into coast to coast AM as a, as a listener for the first time ever. That must've been weird. It was weird. Uh, especially because I didn't want to like say who I was. Who's the guest? Andrea Perrin. I oh, called oh, in to yeah. speak to Andrea and to say hi. And, um, <laughs> it was just very weird because like you call and they're like, wait, is this? Yeah. Okay, well, are you going to say that? And like, no, 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 I'm just Tim in Massachusetts tonight. Okay. And then, like, I come on and I say a little thing like, I know Andrea, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say my line. And, like, you can hear, like, George knows. Andrea <laughs> knows. So, but anyway, it was it was a very weird experience. But uh, it's also the first time I've ever tried to call in and I got right through. So I don't know why people say, like, it's impossible to call into that show. Speaking of calling in, 508-996-0500. If you want to call in to talk with us, you can talk with us about Amityville. You can talk with us about some of the things we're discussing about, you know, the ethics of, of sharing these stories. You can talk to the surrealtor, Erin Sylvia, who's here with us. Uh, maybe you want to call up and tell her about your haunted home that you're trying to sell. Uh, would you, do you think that if the, you know, we talked about some of these famous properties that have come up. If something like the Amityville case happened. God forbid it did. You know, I'm not looking for anybody to get murdered. Uh, how would you feel about taking on that sale if if that came across your desk? I mean, it, it would be it it would be rough, obviously, because there would there would be a lot of having to talk about the situation. But I mean, that person that needs to sell their house, they're still a client for whatever the reason may may be. They need to sell their house, so. I mean, I would, you know, I would do what I, what I do with all my clients is just help them in any way that I can. Is, is there, is there a little bit of, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe like psychotherapy involved in helping people with the sale of their homes? Like I, I would assume oh, that not everybody's yes. always ready to sell, even oh, though they think they are. Selling for whatever reason is a very, very emotional process for everyone. Um, it's, uh, y you know, it's like sort of like, you know, part-time realtor, part-time psychologist, you know, therapist. Uh, so I, yeah. And pe people, you know, being, being their realtor, people will tell you all kinds of things like about their fond memories in the home. And 
even if they're selling for a good reason, say they bought a great new house in Florida or, you know, they got a new job and they're moving somewhere else. It's, it's always, it's always tough letting go of a home because it becomes sort of a member of the family. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's a very emotional process. Emotions always run high in every sale. People get upset, uh, when they don't necessarily need to. Uh, so that's just, that's very normal. Even when a house has nothing paranormal going on. I would also think, though, that if somebody does have paranormal activity, there's probably, and we've seen it happen in investigations, there's some sense of the person feels a responsibility for those spirits. So, like, somebody might own a haunted home, but they and they might want to sell and get out of it, but they also feel like, I don't want to put somebody else in this situation. Or, I know these ghosts, they get along with me, I need to stay here for them. Like, there becomes almost like a codependency situation in those in those cases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that would be the case. Um, uh, it, it, it would sort of be like moving away from, from relatives that you've lived with. It would probably be something like that. Now, you said you've been in real estate, what, eight years? In the spring, it will be eight years, yes. Okay. Have you ever had haunted houses that are, we'll call it, frequent flyers? Frequent <laughs> then, flyers. Uh, yeah, they, I mean, you're, I've, you're I've always seen some frequent flyers, but I don't necessarily think that they're haunted. Maybe they are, and maybe that's why they are that frequent flyers. Yeah, but, that, that's um, one of the hallmarks of most haunted places. Mm-hmm. Is repeat, That's one of the first things I start looking at when I get a... Uh, a haunted, you know, private haunting thing. First thing I start looking at is what is its purchase and sale history? How right. many people has it gone through over so, so many years? The more frequent generally gives me an indication that there may be something to this, mm-hmm. you know. So keep an eye on that. I will. I'll let you know. Yeah, my, my aunt and uncle's house where I had some of my earliest experiences, um, they... When they moved in, I think they moved in in like 1987, 88. Uh, And so at that point, the house was only about 20 years old. And there had already been, I think, six families that had lived in the house in that time. Wow, that's a lot. And then they lived there. They lived there for a good amount of time, um, maybe about 10 years. And then there there have been multiple people that have lived in there in the time since. Mm -hmm. So, and and part of, you know, the, the curse of that house to some degree was that they were, you know, the families that had lived in there, like every one of them had ended in divorce up until my aunt and uncle. They they survived barely. They're, you know, they, they got through it. But, you know, and then I think that some of the, the, from what I can understand, I haven't talked to anybody that lived in the house. I really just need to go knock on the door and say, hey, is your house haunted? Um, but in looking, stalking some of the people that have lived there on social media and looking into like what I can gather from there, it seemed like it was a lot of, you know, younger couples and it was like their first house and they were moving on from there or um, some people that had come in for, it was it was owned for a while by a, a company and I think it was some of the people that were involved in the company might have been coming through. So um, I don't know if the same stigma is there that was there before my aunt and uncle, but it's certainly, if you look at it, it has a history of there being people that just don't stay in that house. And it doesn't make sense if you are in the house because... Like it's a fine house. It's it's nothing special. It's um, it's a it's a ranch style house, and it's you know, four bedroom house. You know, it's a, it's not a lot of space, but it's got a big yard. You would think like this is the kind of house somebody 
buys and lives in for 20 years. Well, the reason why I bring this up is Andy and I did a uh, case in Rhode Island. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about where it is and things like that. Well, you said Rhode Island, so it's so easy to pin down right from there. <laughs> well, it can be. But um, we got the report, and Andy and I went to go check it out. And uh, we were talking. He had talked with the owner, and he was there briefly enough to talk with us. And he bought the house, had it for less than three or four months, and it got to a point where this thing was standing over him while he was laying on the couch after he fell asleep, talking, the thing was talking to the kids and whatever. Well, it turns out, you know, from looking at it, the house had been sold something like five times in three years. So he's in turn selling it, had just sold it. Uh, this is a house that Andy and I went to, and we had um, Kelly with us, and Kelly was on the stairs, and it told her to move. <laughs> So she got up and she moved. No, that's the polite <laughs> thing to do. Yeah. Um, I was just looking through on Twitter, uh, hashtag Spooky Live. I was looking through some of the, the tweets and, you know, Derek Maureen are going back and forth. And yes, you, you guys should both definitely call. Uh, but there was uh, a point here that Maureen made. I'm always conflicted being interested in true crime and hauntings related to true crime. Basically, someone else's tragedy is my entertainment. And And really, if you think about it, not just from the perspective of movies and television shows and books and things like that. Someone else's tragedy is usually our basis for research too. Like it, yeah. it, it not particularly us, no, but people in the mean. paranormal world that they, they look for those places because they're just, they're sexier. It's, you know, you, you have a, a, a reason for there to be a haunting. So that's, that's why you want to go there. But I don't think you need to. I mean, not all hauntings have to stem from something violent or something negative. Not all activity has to stem from a haunting either. True. I mean, if you if you just look back at the events that we put on over the years, you know, the especially you know going back to the early days of legend trips, we went for the places where there were those stories: Lizzie Borden's house, uh, Slater Mill. Yeah. Uh, you know, we went to places where there was a history of there being paranormal activity, the USS Salem, things like that. It was the Mark Twain house where I think we started to flip a little bit because although the Mark Twain house had a history of being haunted, they hadn't let a lot of investigations happen there. So it wasn't a place like that had a big history of activity being reported. And that started to make us think like maybe if we just get into these places where there's history, there doesn't necessarily have to be hauntings. That can kind of shift gears a little bit. And so then not long after that, we ended up doing the Murdoch Whitney house for the first time, which to that point had only been investigated once. And while they had found activity, it wasn't anything like overwhelming, but I looked at it as, Hey, here's this historic mansion out in the middle of nowhere in Massachusetts. that probably doesn't get a lot of tourism and maybe we could help them out by doing an event there and raise some money for them. And, and we cut them a pretty good check that first time. And we went there and, we got activity. We were in the basement, what, Even, 20 minutes, and we got, we got activity. Yeah, we got stuff thrown at us. We had, we were, peach we were, pits. we were getting hit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Something was throwing peach pits at us that were apporting out of nowhere because yeah. there were no peach pits. There were no peach trees. And, there was no reason there for them to be there. Nobody in front of us. There was no way anybody could even possibly be hiding in front of us. 
they came at us directly from in front out of nowhere. Oh, my gosh. Hit him. Missed me by inches. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't thrown with a lot of force, but, like, you're like, oh, yeah, they're throwing something at me. Yeah, and it's like... You look down and the peach pit slowly rolling to a stop. It's and like, then it's it's only increased in activity in all the times that we've gone back since. I mean, I've been there. I've put on a few things with just myself there and some people. And we've had all kinds of things going on. When we were there with John Brightman, we had the the doppelganger experience where something actually looked like me and was talking to the person standing behind me. And... Well, no, I turned around and stared at him. And he's like, Tim, why are you staring at me? And I'm like, I'm not. I'm looking straight ahead. And he's like, you just turned around and looked at me. And I said, no, I didn't. And then it happened to somebody else on the other side of the room right after that. And then that's the same location where on the SLS camera, we caught a stick figure playing music in the music room. And we had a you know living person sit down at the piano and play in time. And the the... the stick figure would play in time with the guy playing the piano so if we told him to slow down or go faster the stick figure would move the instrument it was playing or tap its foot slower or faster and at first it was playing a violin and then it went to like a you know like a floor bass and then it went to a trombone and it was playing all those different instruments and then that same same night that was the night we also caught the infamous video of, it was, you know, our friend Crystal was using her SLS camera down in the basement and there was a tub yeah. in the basement and it looked like there was a, you know, you know, the SLS camera has those stick figures. And so the stick figure is sitting in the bathtub and there's another stick figure kind of giving it a bath. And so uh, my friend Jessica, who Crystal's deaf, and so Jessica is her interpreter and as Crystal's filming this, Jessica's like, oh, are you getting a bath? And she starts talking like all cutesy to whoever's in the tub. And as the more she talks that way, the more the stick figure takes his hand and puts it down into the water. And, oh. um, yeah. She starts and it's on camera. She starts encouraging him oh, and he starts going harder and harder at it. And then he starts going two hands and yeah. Wow. And it's only moving as far as it would move in that situation. So you can actually, and I, I brought the footage up to the entire group uh, in the in the in one of the main rooms. And I said, I'm just going to put this on and I'm not going to tell you what's going on. And I want everybody to tell me what they think is happening. And we put it on the big screen. And as soon as it started happening, the whole room just bust out of the laughing. <laughs> And everybody said that's exactly what's going on. So if you look up Spooky South Coast Masturbating Ghost on YouTube, <laughs> you can watch that video in its entirety. It's um, it's fascinating. Charming. The, uh, what's it, Fright Club? The show with the Ghost Brothers and, yeah. and Jack Osborne. They reached out looking for footage of things that they could run on that show. And I said, well, if I get a clip for you? And I sent them that. And they're like, we don't know if we can show this on TV. <laughs> and then they got back to me and they're like, well, we might show a little clip of it. But... <laughs> It ended up not working out because the the people who were with me that captured the footage, not everybody could make it on the show to talk about it. So they they punted us to maybe another season. But it's um, yeah, it's definitely a fun watch. So yeah, uh, but that was a place that you know had no real history of activity. That now you look at it, they have their own regular ghost hunts that they put on. And so it's become a major, major moneymaker for them for their renovation and, and, you know, advocacy efforts. And they've gone and bought the house across the street. And now they have investigations of that building as well. And um, the Smith-Harris house in, in Nyanta, Connecticut, 
They never had any reports of ghosts. We went there and found activity. Um, there's other places that we've done that have never had. Well, Edaville. I mean, Edaville, well, there was always anecdotal stories. Yeah, anecdotal. <clears throat> but nobody had ever really right. nobody investigated. Had written, yeah. So we go there and we're able to kind of find stuff there. And uh, it's just, you give us a chance well, to at least go in and we'll mansion. see what happens. That had kind Sprague, of a, Sprague, Sprague Mansion. Mansion. Yeah, yeah. Sprague Mansion had well, there were some stories, but they were they were kind of like yeah. against us going there. And then when we did some go crazy there, crazy stuff happened. The caretaker like joined in the investigation and was just fascinated by everything that was going on. I don't know if you've ever been to the Sprague Mansion. It's in oh, West. It's in West Rhode Island. It's uh, Cranston, Rhode Island. No, I haven't been there. So, Western Mass, you're thinking of what, Venford Hall? Venford Hall is another one, yeah. Yeah. Venford Hall, yep, that was another place no, that... This, yeah. And um, there was another one that I was just thinking of, too. And going to, you know, going to the Wayside Inn a couple of weeks ago, they've never allowed anybody to investigate except for ghost adventures. And they were not happy with how that turned out, so... Who is? But they were... Um, <laughs> they were uh, very reluctant to let us you know, go there. They, they were hesitant and it turned out so well that, you know, we're going to be doing another one in the spring. So it's Great. a very cool spot. Well, 508-996-0500. Sorry, Moniz. Oh, no. Go right ahead. I was just going to ask, what about out west and north Adams, uh, the Houghton Mansion? That's a place that's been resold a number of times and that has you know, a definite history of being haunted. From my understanding, it's currently owned by like an art museum or like some sort of art, like uh, organiza arts organization. And I can't for the life of me understand why they won't allow investigations to go on there. Like you would think that being in the arts, you're looking for as much money as you can get because the endowments just aren't there anymore. Uh, the you know the money isn't there, especially during the pandemic. It's not something that we've been investing in. So you would think that they would want to capitalize on that aspect of it, but for some reason they're just not open to it. Although I don't know, maybe maybe I have to call them and ask them. Well, call like, them and ask them. I would I'd go there again in a second. Oh yeah, that place. Is cool. Want to take a four hour ride with us? Okay. <laughs> it, I promise Brave you. Soul. I promise you, it doesn't feel like four hours, especially if Moniz is driving. Yeah. Feels more bring like, the mixtape. Brings two, brings it about two and a half, yeah. depending upon what I'm driving. I'm not kidding. He got us from here to Twin River in like 25 minutes once. <laughs> wow. It was. I had to supercharge Mercedes at that time. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was. It was paranormal. <laughs> I was, if I remember correctly, I was uh, laying down in the back seat because I I would I didn't want to risk motion sickness of looking out the windows. Yeah, we went to Plaid. We he was we were going to uh, we were invited to the season three premiere of Ghost Hunters, um, and so it was going to start at like seven o'clock or whatever. And Moniz had come from work from the Boston area, and you know naturally traffic is traffic, so we're running behind. And he picks us up. He's like, oh, "Don't worry, I'll get us there in time." Matt <laughs> Costa and I were like, "No, no way, you're going to get us there in time. It's like a forty minute ride." And he goes, "No, no, I don't I think about this. half that." And, uh, yeah, and we got there in 25 minutes. <laughs> wow. It was terrifying. <laughs> when we got there, they're like, oh, the food is in the back if you want to eat. And I'm like, I don't know if I can. <laughs> so 
So, uh, but yes. The, get it. Get it. Okay, grasshopper. <laughs> I usually do catch them single-handedly. Uh, and I have done it with chopsticks, too. Okay. Um, I forgot what I was going to say before. Oh, you were talking about the Houghton Mansion. Yeah. So that's that's another prime example of a place where do people even know the history of that location if not for they the paranormal? They have to by now. They have to by now. But but would they have known it if not for the hauntings? Would anybody have ever paid that place enough attention if not mm-hmm. for the paranormal? Okay. You know, and that's if you look at it like that too, like would the Lizzie Borden house have as much active, you know, as much business as it does if it was just true crime related? You know, I think the paranormal aspect plays a huge part in, in their sales, especially now because that's all they're focusing on. Yeah, I, I suppose with the, with staying there, yeah. But, I mean, there's there's still so many books that come out about, you know, like uh, new theories and things like that. I feel like the the crime aspect is is still carrying a lot of it. Sure. I mean, but yeah. you, you'll, you'll probably rent out the rooms to people that are interested in the true crime. But renting out the whole house on a Wednesday night for, you know, 2500 oh, bucks, yeah, yeah. you know, that's the paranormal people that are for keeping sure, that going. For sure, for uh, sure. There's, you know, some other place. like, listen, I, I, I love history. I don't know that I ever would have gone to Slater Mill if it wasn't for the fact that it's haunted. Just not my interest level. I've been there a number of times before, but that was like field trip. Yeah, I mean, I, I never went there for a field trip. Speaking of field trips, the Fearing Tavern in Wareham. You know, there was a place that had no activity reported at all. Uh, no, I mean, uh, mine, yeah, yeah. individual stories, but not from not from the historical society. Okay, yeah. Um, we had heard a story, and we only heard about that story after we said we were going to go and investigate there. Um, but the, you know, that place there... We bring in money for them with our events that are, you know, the, some of the biggest fundraisers they do all year. And I do my birthday fundraiser on Facebook every year for the Wareham Historical Society for that. And, you know, like that brings in a pretty good chunk of change for them, too. And it's because of the paranormal. that may, But then there's so many others that just won't embrace it. Like the Plymouth Antiquarian Society will not let us into any of their properties. Like you're leaving money on the table if that's, you know, if that's what you need to survive. I don't like to look at it just from that perspective. It's a whole new way to look at the history. Battleship Cove. Uh, uh, they have a new director. Hmm, and time. I reached out to the new director, and I haven't heard anything. So when when I first asked for Battleship Cove years ago, we had just done the USS Salem. And I used that as an example to say, you know, we, we can handle a group in a ship that size and, and not have any problems. And the response that I got back was, uh, we think that this would be extremely disrespectful to the people that served on this ship. And then my response was, well, then you don't understand what we do and you didn't read my email because the whole reason we do these things is to honor those people. Like we are taking that history and bringing it back to life. People are going to these things not because, not just because they want to see ghosts and maybe experience something paranormal. It's because they want to immerse themselves into a historical location. Yeah, they want to have the understanding, why is this place special? Who are these people? You don't get any more respectful than in, than something like that. Right. We're not going there and telling their story. We're going there and trying to communicate with them and let them tell the story to us. Yeah. But there's, 
uh, there's places that just won't embrace that. I mean, if you look at if you look at the amount of historic museums, what they call heritage museums that we have around here, like every one of them could be taking advantage of this opportunity. Even if you try it, it doesn't work out. Like at least give it a shot because especially now, you know, post COVID, the money's not there. You missed a whole year of tourism anyway. Like reach out. Not that I'm trying to, you know, solicit, you know, a money making opportunity for us. Like reach out to us and tell us like we were interested in doing this. And it doesn't have to be us. I mean, look at Christy Parrish and the work that she has done with the Oliver Estate. And they made the announcement today that they are now taking over two other properties and oh. doing similar work there that they've done to the Oliver Estate. And that place, when we first started going there, and they had already been doing ghost tours for a couple of years before I'd already been there, they've, I think they put a new roof on the place. They redid the garden. They installed indoor plumbing so you don't have to pee in a porta potty outside in December. Uh, you know, they've, they've, taken all that money that has come in from the paranormal and turned around and put it right back into the location. The SK Pierce mansion did that same thing for yeah. a long time. They were turning that money back into, you know, physical changes in the house. So we would, we'd go there and do an event and then they would send us a photo of like, Hey, we replaced this banister with that money, you know, like things like that make a difference. And I don't know why more places don't embrace it. So we have about uh, about four minutes left. Uh, just let everybody know again how they can follow you, Erin, uh, with the with your new venture. You can find me at thesurrealtor.com and also on YouTube. If you search for the Surrealtor channel on YouTube, you can find me that way as well. And do you? I mean, I know that you said that uh, you know you're not going to go into these homes that you're trying to sell and investigate. But do you want to investigate? I'd like to try. All right. We're going to drag you along then. Okay, great. I'm looking forward to it. We, we'll take you somewhere that isn't for sale, though. That's just, fine. That's fine. Just so there's no conflict of interest. Okay. Although, you know, if we find something, they might change their mind and be like, you know what? Don't go anywhere. We need to talk. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. As I said, um, we're probably not going to be on for a couple of weeks. Uh, I am going to be helping out my dad. Uh, well, I have been. And so I'm basically out every night. I'm, I'm covering his job for him because he's a he's an, he's a company of one. So if he can't do it, somebody has to. And so that somebody is me. So uh, I will be doing that for the next couple of weeks. Hopefully at the beginning of December, we'll be able to return back to the airwaves. And then you know it's coming up in January. It's our 16th year anniversary. 16th anniversary. The show will legally be allowed to drive. Yeah. Well, coming up. Well, we're going to hit 16 and a half in Massachusetts, but we can at least get our learner's permit. Right. Awesome. Yeah. It's been a long time and it, it feels like every minute. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I haven't, I haven't done, there's things in my life that I haven't stuck to. I don't think I've brushed my teeth consistently for 16 years. Okay. That's disheartening i was trying to, I was trying to think of something extreme uh, um, but no i mean 16 years is a long time especially on radio right especially you know talking about these topics yeah. i mean look at how much things have changed in the 16 years that we started isn't doing that, this isn't that scary in and of itself remember when we used to talk about power unity in a positive way <laughs> that's what we need we need everybody to have power yeah. unity and now we know that power unity is a joke it'll never happen nor is it necessary. But, you know, people change. Things change. Things evolve. And this show certainly has. Uh, thank you all for all of your support for it. If you want to reach out to us during the week, 
Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com is the way to do so. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at SpookySC. I know that we don't do the video anymore on YouTube, but if you want to check out some of our past videos, you can go to Spooky South YouTube.com slash Spooky South Coast, where you can also see those Amityville videos. And um, my, if I promote a little something mm -hmm. I'm doing, I'm doing a little uh, YouTube broadcast through... Uh, KGRA, I don't know if I can, yeah, uh, with, yeah it's Tom, with Tom Reed uh, called Inner Spa Dash Space TV. And uh, it's basically uh, Tom and I talking to various people in the UFO field and related. And uh, do you plan on Six, interviewing any aliens? Uh, if we can get a couple of our friends to show up, sure. All right. It's well, 6 a.m., I mean, sorry, 6 p.m., Mondays. I'm wearing the uh, Washington UFO. I maybe we, can get, maybe we can get Valiant Thor to, to call in to you. Which, yeah. by the way, I, I'll talk to you about that off there. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, that'll do it for this week's show. Again, uh, you know, we'll be back in a few weeks. Stay tuned to all of our social media. We'll let you know when it's coming up. Uh, also, too, uh, remember that during this time of year, as we are heading out of the spooky season, uh, that doesn't mean that your paranormal friends still aren't out there doing different things. Follow along with all of them and keep supporting them. There's a lot of great paranormal Christmas programs coming your way. That'll do it. Until next time, stay spooktacular.